Hi, friends. Welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast, hosted by Liz Basil Lewison at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week, I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story, and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. I have a friend and classmate of mine here from college today. Uh, Josh, will you introduce yourself? Uh, Hey, I'm Josh Buzzard. I uh, went to school with Liz at St. Vincent, and uh, I was only there for a short amount of time, but made, made friends with a lot of good people through lacrosse there and stayed in touch with some of those people over the years, and here we are. Here we are. All right. Um, So I kind of was following your journey a little bit just because we kind of went down like some similar paths. Um, I I don't know if I really realized because I um, finished up a couple years. I mean, you were like, I think when I was like on my way out. Um, What uh, what class were you part of? Uh, So I was only there for a very short amount of time. I I only survived one semester and I let uh, some of my own bad decisions and being young and immature uh, run me out of school pretty quick, but I was there for uh, the fall of 2011. Okay. Yeah. So that was literally my last semester. So that's so funny. So I had no idea like how long or short you were there for because when I got back from basic training in AIT, obviously the spring semester was done already. Um, and I came back and every, I mean, everybody was like still there for homecoming the following year. So I don't know. It was, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Um, but awesome. Okay. So that's, I mean, par for the course, I guess, like who doesn't fuck up a little bit their freshman semester. So take me through a little bit. What happened like right after that or what happened like that brought you to the military? Um, so my dad is an air force guy as well. He, uh, just hit his 27th year of service. Um, and you know, he's a chief, he's been in my whole life and I came home and kind of had to look at him and, and face the, the choices and the decisions that I had made. And he said, you know, you got two choices now, you either join the family business or, uh, or you find a way to pay your own way through college. And I thought I was going to do that at first. I thought I was smarter than him and smarter than everyone else when I was 18, 19 and it took about three months to realize that that wasn't going to work. So I enlisted in April of 2012. Wild. That's really funny that he called it the family business. Yeah. And also you bring up such a good point that I don't think that I have recognized enough in this podcast. And it's something that I really like to point out just how much we think we know at such a young age. And I think that we all kind of like acknowledge it at some point, like once you hit like your mid to late twenties, like, wow, I really thought I had shit figured out. But if anybody younger is listening to this episode right now, like I tell my, my little brother is uh, eight years younger than me. I tell him constantly, like, dude, you got another, like at least eight to 10 years of fuck ups left. Like you don't, you think you know anything at all. You are so dead wrong. So that's kind of hilarious that it only took you three months to figure out that like you weren't going to be able to get a job with zero college, like, and zero trade skills to enough to pay your way through college. And I mean, 2011, like post whatever depression, are we calling it recession? Sorry. Yeah. 
what, what did we call that thing that happened? Um, so like post-recession, like, I mean, you couldn't get a job without college, like unless you already had gone to like, like both season through trade school, like while you were in high school, like that was a hard time to be 18, man. Like give you props. I was, I was stringing, stringing lacrosse sticks at a Dick's sporting goods for two months. I was like, this isn't going to work. I don't want to do this forever. No. That's so funny, too, that you also only made it through fall ball. You didn't even make yeah. it into the season. No. It, do you want uh, to talk about that at all? We didn't talk about uh, this at all in our preliminary call, but do you want to talk about, like, what happened that semester? Uh, I basically just left home, and school was something that, for me, always came super easy, and – I was never really challenged or pushed myself in high school. So when I got to school, you know, having to, to do a little bit more was hard for me for something that always came so easy. And really quickly I said, well, rather than work hard at that, I'd rather just hang out with my friends and play lacrosse and party than put any time and effort into my studies. And it's funny to be in the position I am now as a college coach and see guys heading down that same path. And I can, you know, I can say to them, hey, look, like, this isn't a road you want to go down. I've been there, and I'm lucky to be where I'm at now, and I had to work really hard to get an opportunity to get back in this position because there was definitely a time uh, right when I left school and joined the military that I thought, wow, this is something that I spent you know, a, a big part of my life doing, and I'm never going to get a chance to get back into it because of my own mistakes, my own choices. And it, it took some time to – get to the realization uh, that I could work my way back in, into being a part of the game. Yeah, well, um, thank you for sharing that because I think that that's like super relatable. I think a lot of people have a very similar experience to that where like you can totally just get by through high school and never really have to, you know, put pen to paper besides exams and you can really never open a book and still fucking pass. And I mean, St. Vincent wasn't the hardest college around, but it was still college and you still had to like do a little bit of work. You had to at the very least show up to class sometimes. Um, and you just, you go into freshman year and especially if you like haven't been exposed to a lot of parties or it's your like first like taste of freedom away from your parents, like things like that. Like you just, it's so, it's such a common story that you know, people are, I think, ashamed of, but like, I just, I, I can't help but see all of the negatives in life, like, that make you who you are. And like, I mean, uh, from, from what I've seen of you and what we've talked about, like, you're still a good person. So like, enjoy the fuck ups, you guys. <laughs> They're part of life. Like, you, you got to just realize that like, this is a season and like, don't let yourself like spiral out of control and, you, you know, take a handle on it. Um, okay. So, you're stringing lacrosse sticks at dicks. You, your, your dad sets you straight, lets you know that like this is these are the choices, um, and now you're able to use this. You're a college lacrosse coach, and you're able to use this uh, to motivate your students, which is really powerful. I think, um, just like it's probably a common story for some of my listeners here. Like it's you know for your students and your athletes to see and like hear your story and see that like 
oh, that really resonates with me. Like, I also just want to like party and get fucked up and like hang out with my friends. And like, you can do both. You totally can. But you got to like, you got to figure out what you want to do and like what's important to you. And I mean, it's not easy for for 18 and 19 year old. Like I give you all the fucking kudos in the world to like be able to help that age group. That's a really, really hard age group. Um, What I studied in school, I, I had planned to be an anthropology professor and ultimately I started working with younger kids and I was like, young kids are hard, but I don't know if I really want to work with like adult kids either. Like 18 year olds are (laughs) shitty. It's, it's been an adjustment for sure. I, um, you know, we'll kind of get to this, I think, but over the last three and a half, four years, I realized that this is where I wanted to be. And I took, I kind of dove head first into coaching at any level I could just to build my resume and try to get to this point. So, you know, in the last four years, I've worked with kids from under 10 to now being at the college level. So I've seen, you know, all angles of it. And uh, those young kids were a nightmare for me. (laughs) And I couldn't wait to, to move up and start working with the older kids. I didn't have the patience to work with those younger guys. Yeah. And I think that that really speaks to like, there's no like hard prescription for anybody. Like you need to figure out what works for you. Like what works for me is not going to work for anybody else. Like you have to find what works for you. So, all right. I definitely want to get back to lacrosse and stuff. Cause I'm really excited to talk about it. Like super excited. I, I, are you my first laxer on here? I think so. Maybe one other guest, but we didn't talk about it at all. Um, I, I was like, I don't know if my listeners, unless you literally went to high school or college with me, you probably don't know, but I was like the ultimate in like lax girls. And like, it was like hardly even a thing yet, but it was like my entire fucking life was like lacrosse. Um, And like exclusively, my friends were exclusively lacrosse players. Like I was friends with other people, but like I exclusively hung out with lacrosse players. Um, So I'm very excited and honored to have you as a guest today and like talk about it. (laughs) Be like intangible conversation with it. Well I, well, I think that's probably the only reason we ever crossed paths in college. You know, I was coming in as a freshman and you were doing, what, super senior semester? Yeah. And uh, the only reason we crossed paths was because of lacrosse. Right, exactly. I know. And like the year before, I was like, I'm so done with meeting new people. Like, I don't need any new friends. Like, I don't want to meet a single freshman this year. And then like, I was like, briefly dating a freshman for... It got weird. Super senior year is weird. I don't recommend it. Um, get done in, in your four years or six, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, but so I kind of want to hear about your military experience too, because we have that in common as well. Um, but I was Army. Um, it sounds like you had a very different job and experience. And I mean, you were active duty. No, I was, I was in the Air National Guard, but uh, I did a lot of traveling and I worked full time as a civilian technician while oh, I was a member nice. of the Air National Guard. So so I was I was there Monday through Friday every day doing the work. I just was technically a civilian on Monday through Fridays wearing the uniform, following the same regulations. It was very strange. It's a confusing thing to explain. <laughs> That's why I was confused because I was like, I know you were like in uniform every day. Okay. All right. So what happened like I mean, were you contracted to four years, six years? Like, I really actually don't know that much about Air Force contracts. So I, uh, when I went to enlist 
uh, I was an aircraft mechanic. I was a crew chief on KC-135s. It was a critically manned career field, so they were offering, you know, that enlist that sweet enlistment bonus. Get you every get you in time. The door. And uh, so I took that. I went to basic training in July, and then I went up to from San Antonio. I went up to Wichita Falls, and uh, had my follow-on training where I got to work on jets for the first time. And I was not a mechanically inclined person. My ASVAB said differently, but I was a guy that, you know, my grandfather is a car guy. My uncle's a car guy. And they laughed because they said, you're going to be a wrench, wrench turner. So apparently so. And uh, so I, I did my training there. I was there from about September until December. They accelerated my class. So I, I got back to Pittsburgh two days before Christmas in 2012. And then I was you know, working out at the base there for six years. And uh, during that time, I deployed three times and met some great people, did a lot of fun stuff. But by the end of my six years, I was definitely hitting a wall and I didn't see a future in what I was doing. I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I saw a lot of the older guys that I worked with coming in uh, getting back surgeries, knee replacements, shoulders, destroying their bodies and being miserable just because they needed to keep working to, to, you know, feed their family or whatever, whatever the source may be. But these were all guys that kind of came in in that same situation I was in. Hey, we got to do this because, you know, I didn't go to school or I fucked up in school or whatever their situation may have been. And instead of capitalizing on that opportunity that the military gave them to go out and use that as a launching pad to chase your individual dreams, they settled in and made a career out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I saw how many guys doing my career field got defeated and beat down by it and were not a happy person day in and day out. And I didn't want that to be my future. And to the point where even towards the end of my time, I was having a hard time driving to work in the morning because I was getting so stressed out and anxious about the the days because we would have guys dropping like flies and be undermanned at work and they would preach safety, safety, safety to us. And then when we're one day behind on a job, they start breathing down your neck and they already know that we don't have enough people to complete the task. So the stress got really high, really intense to the point of I was missing work. I was getting like physically sick, thinking about things. And it was a weird feeling because I, I even went in for like a psyche vow and, you know, sharing my feelings with doctors. And they're saying like, well, is this something you want to continue doing? And even though I could go home every day and tell my girlfriend or my family or whoever I'm miserable there and I don't want to keep doing this, I felt some like guiltiness or something in me that even though I'm sitting there, them there telling them, even though I was sitting there telling them that I was not happy, I was telling them that I did want to stay in and I did want to make it work, even though I don't think that was true. So I had actually just signed to re-enlist for another six years. And 
after a while I went back and said like, you know, I actually don't know why when I was in here getting that eval that I said I wanted to stay because I don't and I'm not happy and I feel like I'm just, I'm just walking down a dead end road. And um, so luckily through the relationships I had formed with people, we were able to kind of reverse that process of my extension and I was able to separate and here I am now, now and uh, I'm, it's a weird feeling to be like nervous, depressed, anxious about going to work and being in that environment every day. And you would expect there to be relief when you leave that situation. But even after leaving that situation, there wasn't that relief because there was that feeling of letting down your, your brothers and sisters. And, and it's just a weird dynamic that I'm sure you have some kind of understanding of that a lot of people probably don't. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm literally battling with this right now. This always seems to happen where, like, no matter what we talk about on the podcast, it, like, directly relates with stuff that's going on in my life. And so I, I hope that my listeners have the same experience. But, like, it always feels, like, perfectly in line. Um <clears throat> I've been involved in this class for a couple of months and I'm about to start a fourth class for it. Yeah, there's a fourth session that's about to start, but I just started school. I'm doing this podcast like full throttle. There is um, the, the school that I'm in. I, I just joined college again. I'm doing a certification program um, for stenography and it's brand new to me. And I knew there was going to be a lot of homework, but there is like legit like 20 hours of homework a week. So I really can't do anything else like podcast work and school college is like, it's too important for me to like also do an additional like developmental class right now. And so I'm at, I'm in this position where I'm like, well, I don't want to let down my classmates, my teammates. I don't want to let down like my coaches, my teachers, and I don't want to let myself down. Like I said, I wanted to do this. So I want to do it. And so now I'm at, I'm at like, okay, well, like maybe I can do it in the future. Like just because I'm not going to do it right now, doesn't mean I don't have to do it, but oh my God. So like, I feel like people can relate to that, but oh my God did I feel that when I was getting out of the military? And like, I wanted to, I wanted to stay in the army and I actually really got out because of my ex-boyfriend. He was not super supportive of the military. And like, I, I do not blame him for that at all. Like pretty girl leaves for a month straight, leaves for a year straight, like surrounded by, you know, 75% men. Like I totally get it. I don't blame him for not really supporting it that much, but I, I've never been a cheater. You know, I wasn't going to cheat on him. No offense to my buddies, but like I didn't find any of them attractive and I wasn't interested in fucking them, you know? So like <laughs> it doesn't, you know what I mean? So, but like, but I get it. I totally get it. Um, but as much as I didn't want to leave, like the, that split when I actually did, I was like, oh, I feel such guilt. Like, and then even with like the good feelings of like, I do want to leave and like, well, now I don't have these commitments and now I get to like smoke weed and now, I, you know, all this other shit that I got to do as a result, which was great. I'm very happy now in my life, <laughs> but like it was, it was hard. It was a lot and a lot of guilt to it. Absolutely. But you, you make, a, you make a great point on uh, your military buddies. 
yeah, any, anyone who's ever deployed together, I, I don't think they uh, look at each other quite that way because we all get a, way too disgusting over there to, to worry about any of that. But there were still people having sex in gross places. So Yeah, but they were normally kind of gross people. So, But they might not have been unattractive. They might have just been like, you know, gross on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you get a mixed bag in the military. I mean, you get a mixed bag in every, in every single setting in life. I always say that, like, you, you get good, bad, ugly, hideous, terrible in whatever one, one of my One of my favorite experiences was um, my first deployment. There was a guy who was a traditional from my unit, so he was a weekend warrior, and uh, he was an older, super conservative white guy, and – he didn't really know his way around the, the aircraft very well. And he got put as a team lead with a senior airman from Hawaii. And she was, she was around the same age as me, 19, 20, 21 years old. And she was a lesbian <laughs> and she had to walk him around that aircraft and teach him everything. And he was so, you know, he did not know how to handle it. He was so confused, but by the end of it, they were, they were so tight. They were, it, mends, it brings a lot of people with different backgrounds together, and I'll always love that about it. And I think that that's why a lot of athletes especially thrive in the military because it is that same kind of team concept. And uh, even a, whether it's a locker room or, you know, for me, an uh, AMU on the flight line, it, everyone kind of puts their differences aside and becomes a family inside those doors. Yeah, and there's really something too. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I always said that like basic training was a lot like hell week in any sports thing. Any any time that they're really like, you know, life seems to be hazing you <laughs> At, or like your teammates are literally hazing you. But like any kind of hell week, like basic training is basically like three or four months of that. And by the end, yep. you're so fucking close to these people. Like your drill sergeants too, not just your comrades that you went through the shit with, but there's something so bonding about going through the shit with people. And there's something so spectacularly different about the like never leave a soul like never leave a fallen soldier like never leave a soldier behind never leave a man behind like all that shit like is so real like literally i would take a bullet for you like to literally say that and like like you literally would like even if you fucking hated the person when you showed up like you literally would um and i mean you you kind of never know until like the situation arises and i was very fortunate that that situation never arose but i've had lots of situations where you know like medical training has had to be applied like either in my civilian life or in my military or like you have to stand up for somebody that you like never saw yourself standing up for because they're a fucking shit bag and you actually don't like them at all but like at the end of the day like you love them like it's it's such a deep deep bond and i'm in no way trying to ostracize anybody out of the military because i believe that this bond really really just relates to any community any team right. any camaraderie um, but it's, it's definitely like a special thing when you go through hell with people. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's something that'll connect you with them forever. That I've had experiences where I was traveling. It was actually a couple summers ago, coaching a lacrosse tournament and I was in Delaware and I said, wait, I said, I went to basic training. A girl and my sister flight lives down here. Uh, I found, found her on social media and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm in your area. Like, 
if you still live around here, like, why don't you come out? Let's just hang out and shoot the shit, like grab a couple of drinks. I haven't seen you in like six years, but whatever. And she was like, yeah, sure. Like I'll come meet you out. And I love the opportunity to, to run into old friends and see how they're doing. And, you know, it's one of those things that you can't take for granted. And it's one of those things that makes it hard to leave. But, you know, um, once I broke through that wall and realized that none of my coworkers are mad at me or disappointed in me or upset with me for leaving to better myself, the people that I cared about weren't the ones that are upset about the, the loss in manpower or the loss in productivity. The people that I care about are still my friends, regardless of if I'm still showing up to work with them every day. And that was one of the struggles for me as I was leaving was seeing how much, you know, maintainers and people that I worked with were really just treated as numbers and not thought about for their own things that might be going on with them in their daily life. And it was basically show up and we don't care what's going on in the rest of your life. You better just get your work done. Yeah, I, uh, I'm super grateful for one of my drill sergeants in basic training um, told us really early, get yours because the army's going to get theirs. And what that meant was like, always watch your back. So like document every injury because the army is going to get what they need out of you, whether you document it or not. And like, also like, don't skip meals, don't skip breaks, like, because you care about what you're doing. Like, honestly, fuck that and fuck that in work too. Because like when I was running the fitness studio for kids, like my staff was number one. Obviously I cared about the kids. Obviously I cared about the family. Obviously I cared about the business and revenue and all that shit. But like my staff was number one because those families are fine. I mean, unless they weren't, but like I'll, I would address that separately, but like those families are fine. These kids are going to be fine. Like the business is going to be fine. My girls, like you guys need a break. You we're you gotta like run this shit, like by the books. Like you're supposed to have a break every couple of hours. Like you got to fucking eat. You got to take care of yourself. If you're injured, like don't come in without a brace or like, let's, let's get you coverage. Like let's get this shit figured out. Um, but I, I love what you're saying about that. Like, it's okay to leave. Like, I have had such a struggle with that my whole life. Like I've stayed at jobs I've hated, long outstayed my welcome. I've stayed in relationships I hated, long outstayed my welcome. And I think that this is another like very common problem. Like we hold on to like, but I love my coworkers or I love, you know, my hours or my commute, you know, like it's like there's better. And it's really, really powerful that without a college education at 24 years old, six years military and like high school and like a very like pretty standard experience to that point that you were able to realize the significance of, wow, I fucking hate every day. I hate going to work every day. I hate like my drive in, I'm actually getting physically ill because I think that that's like, I mean, I, that, that's like a huge reason why I started this was because I realized how many of the people that I was surrounded by when I got home from traveling the first time, the first three months were completely fucking miserable in their day-to-day -day lives. And like, there's just, there's more out there, you guys, like, I swear to God there is, and people don't see that. So for you to realize that at 24 or 25 years old is like, really incredible i mean you were obviously it doesn't mean like every day has been fucking perfect since but like you, you you realized what the issues were and you acknowledged them and you made a change 
I mean, that that's like you were really lucky. That's incredible. I, I got I got very lucky and you know, not everything broke the right way immediately. And there were definitely some hard times where you know, as soon as I was done, I kind of knew where I wanted to get to, but I didn't know what to do or how to get there. And struggling with my own feelings and emotions, you know, there were some days where it was, I have no clue what direction to go. So I'm just going to do nothing all day and be a slug. And, you know, I tried to just find as many things that I could do throughout the day to be productive, to break myself out of those ruts. And then sometimes I would overload myself and put myself right back in one. And it, it took a while and it still is taking me time. And I kind of think about what you talk about in the transformations episode uh, applied a lot to me because even now I've only been down in West Virginia in my new position for a couple months and I'm still trying to find the right routine on a day-to-day -day basis to be the most productive person and the best person I can be for my players and my head coach and, you know, everyone else in my life because that's hard and it takes time to figure that stuff out. And, you know, now I I've really gotten into, you know, I, I come in in the morning and I might not immediately start working really hard, but I have to take the time to organize myself and say, Hey, this is what I want to accomplish today. And if I don't get it all done, that's okay. But this is what I want to do. I mean, that's totally like a, a huge step. I, and I think showing up early and, and getting yourself set for the day is like one of the best things that you can do in the morning. I used to have to, my commute when I was living in Boston was about like 45 minutes sitting in traffic. And if I left like five minutes later than I normally did, it was like an hour and 15 minutes. And like I could maybe make it in 30 minutes if I left like 20 minutes earlier, you know? So I had my like sweet spot that it was only 45 minutes in traffic, you know, for like 12 miles or some shit. And, uh, and because I had to leave a little bit earlier, I would get there early and it was like the best. I had an hour before my day started every single day. And I was like, okay, this is my like time to like clear my brain and get my shit straight for the day. And it, it really did make a difference. Um, thank you also for listening to the transformations episode and the many other episodes I know you've listened to. Just want to acknowledge you for that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's incredible. Like, I mean, at any given point, we feel like we're working at bettering ourselves or not, but look at how you're still able to motivate your, your players. You know what I mean? Look at how you're still able to like have these like super productive conversations with me that we've had a couple of times. And like, it's there, you know, intellectually it's there, you know, it's there. And we just are constantly trying to kind of like dig up that, like, where is it? Like, I know it's in there. You got the heart. Trust me, there are days where I, I say things to my guys. I'm like, I can't believe they listen to this piece of shit. Tell them what to do. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Some days I have it. And then some days I'm feeling great. And there are other days where, like I said, I, I talk to them. I'm like, man, I can't believe anyone takes my advice because I'm a mess myself. But I, I was very much a person, like you said, you know, when I was going through these things on my way out the door of the military at 24, 25, I didn't know how to deal with any of this stuff. And 
I didn't talk about it with anyone. You, my own family had no clue what I was going through, what I was dealing with. And it took me being able to open up to my friends and my dad was a huge rock for me during this. And once I started to talk about it, I realized it's a very freeing feeling. And as soon as I kind of accepted that and said, uh, you know, I was always very much a person that was like worried about what other people had to say or think. And once I kind of let that go and just said, fuck it, I instantly had an easier time dealing with things from my own comfort um, because I just didn't care anymore. And it's made things a heck of a lot easier, honestly. Seriously. I mean, I always used to joke that like I couldn't wait to be an old lady because old ladies don't give a fuck. But like I'm really capitalizing on it now by not giving a fuck at 30 because it's not that I don't care about people. Like I couldn't be more opposite than that. I care so fucking much about people, but I no longer care if they like me or not. And that's a really fucking cool feeling. It has taken a really long time to get to this point, like almost exactly a year now. And I still definitely have my moments where I'm like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe I'm like literally doing this right now. As I'm saying, I can't believe I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And it's, it's hard, but it gets exactly what you said, so much easier. And then it gets therapeutic and you realize like, oh, I was literally shackled by other people's opinions, shackled by it. And like what you said, yep. like you're worried that your friends were going to be mad at you. Like we make all of our fucking decisions based on other people. And like when you acknowledge that, like, like when I apologized to my dad this summer and said, I'm so sorry that I've been mad at you for, for giving me your opinion. And I, I'm blame, I've been blaming and resenting you for making me do things. I have air quotes up right now, you guys, because nobody can fucking make you do anything unless they literally have a gun to your head. Literally, no one can make you do anything. Your friends aren't making you stay at this job. Your boss isn't making you stay at this job. Get the fuck out if you're miserable. And I know that this is really easy to say and not easy to do, but I promise you it gets easier. And start somewhere small. Start somewhere small with sharing a little bit of your feelings with a little bit of your circle. And then share with more people. I, I'm very interested to hear more about this though. So take the floor. Tell me about it. How did, how did you start like talking to your friends, to your dad? Like how did it kind of start to like trickle out that you were like going through this struggle? Um, so honestly, probably really the only reason it ever started to get better was because my dad still worked at the base too. And when I started missing work and showing signs that something was wrong, someone reached out to him and he kind of said to me, like, what's going on with you? Because this is weird. This is not you. This is not the Josh that I know. And at first I even kind of brushed him off. Said, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And you know, after you know, repeated incidents of the same kind of stuff happening, he said, like, look, we really need to sit and talk about this because clearly there's something going on. And if you don't fix it, it's going to, he said, I don't want to see your health, your men, especially your mental health ruin your career. He said, you know, people will help you. People will do what they can for you, but you have to be willing to share for anything to happen. You have to be willing to 
make some changes or explain to me or, or a counselor on base or anyone what's going on. Because if you don't do that, you're just going to, you're just going to rack up paperwork and get in trouble. And it's not, you're not never going to get any help and you're never going to be able to have a career again, basically. Right. And I, I imagine the Air Force is the same way. I'm pretty sure this is just like government regulations, but like in the army, like uh, suicide prevention training is like so intense, like very, very frequent. Yeah, the same. Um, and so like, that's really like special that like your dad, I mean, obviously like he cares about you. And so he probably would have like asked you at some point offline anyway, but like that somebody reached out to your dad maybe because of suicide prevention training that we do that we fucking hate the worst, but like, (laughs) but it's, it's really intense and it's really important. And it's because of the like veteran suicide rate is so fucking real. And I mean, I think that that's more about like the way that we like exit service and about like the lack of help after you get out and like less about when you're in, but like you were, you were checked out and like people were able to recognize that. And so it's so important you know, that we check on our friends and that we, you know, reach out when you see somebody struggling, because like you said, like you wouldn't have, he didn't come to you repeatedly. Like somebody, Mm -hmm. people are going to brush you off. Nobody wants to open up about shit. Nobody wants to share their heaviness. Like one of the things that my ex said that like, I loved and I like carry this with me always and like gave him all the credit in the world for it. But, um, my, we had only been dating for like two weeks. And so I was like, fuck, like my aunt was like about to literally die of um, a- ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And she'd been sick for about six months. So it happened like really, really quick. And <clears throat> I was only two weeks into this brand new relationship with him. So I was like, not embarrassed, but I was like, I had to like blow him off for a date. We were supposed to have a date. And I was like, I got to shoot home to New York. Um, and I really don't want to talk to you about this because like, I barely even know you. And like, when I say two weeks into the relationship, it turned into a relationship. At this point we were, we had like made out twice. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> like we went on one <laughs> Tinder date. <laughs> um, but he said, you know, when you have heavy shit to talk about, I don't take the weight and then carry it myself. I just take it off of you and we set it down. And it was like a really like powerful metaphor because it's like, here you are thinking like, I got to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders and you fucking don't. Like you literally sharing it, like it might not fully take the weight off of you, but it will definitely release some of that weight and nobody else has to carry it. Like, unless it's a literally like work assignments that you're like, I just can't handle these work assignments. Like, can you do them? But like, generally it's like real life stuff. Like my aunt is sick or I'm feeling depressed or, you know, whatever. Like my dad just got diagnosed with cancer. Like whatever it is, like it's, it's usually like emotional stuff. It's not usually the physical stuff, but it takes a physical toll on you. And the relief that you get from setting that weight down and like giving it to someone else to help you, like it's, it's really, really powerful. Absolutely. And I, uh, I also just lost a family member. My grandmother passed from dealing with ALS herself. And that is a super fucked up disease that, is miserable for anyone's family to deal with. So yet another strange commonality we have. So many things. Um, but uh, 
jumping back to when you were talking about the veteran uh, suicide rate and, and things like that, actually one of the things that I have gotten back involved with now um, and through my dad is he is actually the Pittsburgh chapter leader. I don't know the right term for it, but with uh, team RWB team, red, white, and blue, it's a veterans organization and their purpose is just enriching veterans lives. So, you know, they do a lot of, you know, five K's and, and stuff like that, just events to get veterans out there and reconnected with that group setting group environment that we talked about before, like that locker room, that camaraderie, the, that important thing that, you know, people crave that sense of community. And, you know, I've been really happy to be able to get back involved with something like that. And, you know, once again, follow my dad's lead and, and be involved with that. Um, and not to totally leave the military stuff and change gears, but, that suicide statistics also became something that was a driving force for me in coaching because of a session I walked into at the U S lacrosse convention a couple of years ago. Um, Troy Kemp was speaking. He is from the national center for the development of uh, boys. And he went through all these statistics um, you know, young men are three to four times more likely to commit suicide than young females under the age of 18. And, you know, one in five of those kids in that same age window are medicated. And, you know, there aren't necessarily the number statistics for it. But when you think about the time that parents spend at work and then running their kids around or, you know, divorces and split families. There are kids that are craving that attention and a positive influence in their life. And it's not just young, young men, but I left that session really thinking two things. One, holy shit. I need to look in the mirror myself because he's talking about things I went through, you know, because, if we go back to my struggles when I went to college, you know, I was clearly in a bad place when I left and I felt like I could very much so relate to um, what he was preaching that day. And I realized walking out of that room that whatever happens on the field is important and I want to win games. I don't like to lose. I'm a competitive person, but, that's really the last thing that matters in my career field as a coach. The, the most important thing to me is helping these guys become better people and live better lives. And I saw someone else say, you know, we don't coach to become rich. We coach to get invited to guys' weddings and see them have their own families and lead, lead strong lives. And that's kind of just become my – passion that drives me to keep doing this and you know, I love the game of course but being a, a positive factor and being someone that can help guys out means a hell of a lot more to me than what the score of a game ever will yeah dude it's really fucking powerful when you realize that like your story and your similarities and your struggles are really what make you unique and what make you 
able to make changes and help encourage other people to make the changes in their lives. So like, that's a really cool thing that you, I mean, cause you were telling me that you like kind of happened to walk in on that talk. Like you were. Yeah. So I actually went to watch uh, John Donowski, uh, you know, big time lacrosse coach, probably the, the, the biggest name you could, you could have uh, Duke lacrosse coach. And he was speaking about managing your assistant coaches or something. Right. And at the, at the time I was working with a bunch of dads and I was like, maybe this is good. Like I can give them direction on where they need to be and how they can help me out. And after about five minutes, I realized that it was going to have no application right. to what I was doing and where I was. And Troy's session had kind of caught my eye. And I said, well, I'm going to bail on this one and go check this one out and see what it's all about. And honestly, walking into that room that day to hear him speak changed my life because it changed my perspective on what I was doing completely. And I went from wanting to be the best X's and O's guy and be the smartest on-field coach I could possibly be to realizing that what happens off the field is going to be way more important for my guys than anything else. And when I worked with high school guys and youth guys, I told them, Hey, let's get good at lacrosse, but let's also set the standard for what, you know, good behavior and good academics should look like because on top of just wanting them to be better men, I also want to change the, the narrative and the stigma around, you know, lacrosse bros and crap like that. And, you know, it seems like every couple years something pops up that sets us back in the lacrosse community um you know just recently there was another tragedy with a guy doing something dumb uh and I i've told every team i've ever coached we're already five steps behind everyone else in terms of perception so we have to be 10 steps better in terms of the way we carry ourselves on a daily basis if we ever want to get the respect we deserve because i've met more good people than I can count through this sport, but we still get looked at kind of sideways by a lot of the mainstream. Yeah. It's, uh, it's that whole, like, you know, one negative review wipes out 10 positive reviews in business. It's, it's so true. Like, you know, we have one bad thing happen early two thousands and we're about to be in 2020 and like that shit's fucking still haunting us. And like, not to say that like, rape or sodomy is cool but like that shit has happened in every fucking sport and in every fucking field throughout history like that happens in the fucking goddamn church like that shit happens everywhere all the time throughout humanity people like give everybody you meet a chance because not everybody is like that bad person in that field that you don't like that one fucking bad police officer that one fucking bad priest that one fucking bad whatever like not everybody in that field is a bad person whatever so it's it's like uh when you, you apply for a job and they put you through those random like survey questions and it's you know do you believe people are inherently good or bad and we tend to let the w actions of one or two bad people paint our view of everyone else around us and i think there tends to be a lot more good in the world if you just go look for it you know my stance on magic. Look for magic. Look for goodness. Look for joy. It's out there. But you brought up a lot of good points. There's a lot of things that I want to make note of from your last uh, like statements that you made. 
one of the things was, well, like, first of all, just like the serendipity of you walking into this other talk and you noticing immediately like, oh, this is extremely impactful. Uh, I think that that's super powerful. And I think that, like you said, that you are, you're, you are looking for joy. You're looking for the good in people. And I think that that's so important and something that people really miss because we don't trust each other, because we don't want to like people, that we're not looking for things to be good and powerful and, and impactful. And so again, like the profundities of you being able to like internalize this moment and, and see it as a really powerful moment and be able to be moved by it. I think people so often like don't want to be moved by things. They don't want to be touched or inspired by things. And, you know, you can find you can find inspiration in every day. We just don't look for it. Um, so that's, that was really, that's a really powerful thing that you like allowed that to change your perspective. And you went kind of from this, like this rigid mentality of like, I have to be the best coach to like, oh, actually I can be the best coach by being a mentor. And like, that's kind of why like coach Carter is such a fucking awesome sports movie because it's so much more than just the sport. It's the team and it's the, you know, it's, it's showing people that you have what it takes far beyond just your athletic abilities. I'm getting chills when I think about coach Carter. I literally like can't handle how awesome that movie is, but like just being able to be a mentor and like teach so much more than the sport is like such a, a fucking awesome thing. So I took over a high school team last year. I had 22 kids and 13 of them had never picked up a stick before. And we got smashed pretty much every game. We won one game last spring. Yeah. And there are a couple moments that really stuck with me. And the first three or four games, it was really rough. And I was starting to kind of get worn out a little bit. And after the first game, opposing coach and the referees, hey, your guys did a really great job. They never gave up. They were respectful. We, we'll, I'll ref your game anytime. Other coach, I'll play your, your team anytime. Even though you got down, you weren't taking cheap shots. You weren't playing dirty. Your guys were great. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, this is just lip service. They're trying to be polite and show good sportsmanship, whatever. And then it just kept happening. And it kept happening. And it kept happening. And we had our first section home game, and we lost 18-2. to two. And we talked in the locker room after the game. And I didn't yell at the guys. I wasn't mad at them. They did the best that they could. And they opened the doors to the locker room, and the stadium lights were still on. And they said, hey, coach, do you care if we go back out there and, like, throw around since the lights are still on? I said, Ab absolutely not. Please go back out there and practice because we need it. But <laughs> the fact that this group of kids that knew they weren't going to really find a ton of success wanted to get back out there after just getting their asses kicked and go right back to work and try and get better. And I think of those 22 kids, unless their mom or dad was there to pick them up, I think 15 or 16 of those guys stayed for another hour to be out on the field and work. And at that point in time, I said, you know what, I don't care what my record is this year because we're having success with this group of guys because they're doing the right things. And, you know, we got, we got our one win. And I think we could have got a couple more at the end of the year if we didn't deal with some injuries and some adversity in some other places. But uh, that group of kids is always going to hold a special place to me. And there's another, another time where I felt guilty leaving a situation. I got this opportunity 
to move down to West Virginia and, and take this college position. And my seniors that worked so hard for me last year, my, my junior class that became seniors this year, I was really looking forward to see what, what we could have done and grown on this year. But this was an opportunity that this is what I wanted. This is where I wanted to be. And it wasn't this fast on my timeline, but that didn't mean that it wasn't the right time for me to take it. I had to jump at that opportunity. And I wrestled with the, the guilty conscious again of, hey, I'm leaving these people. And is it the right thing for me to do? But if any one of my players, whether it's now here at Alderson Broadus where I coach or where I was at Trinity High School before, if a kid at Trinity had played so well that some prep school wanted him and I told him not to go, I'd be an asshole because I'm holding him back from a better opportunity, right? And yeah. if a kid playing here at the Division II level played well enough that a Division One coach wanted him to transfer and play one more, one more year for him or something, I'd be an asshole to tell him no. You know, so I have to think and look back at myself the same way and say, hey, if you have an opportunity to put yourself in a better situation, you have to take it. And I'd be a hypocrite not to do the same in my situation. Right. And I mean, not all people and not all coaches are built that way, though. Like, that's a very generous outlook. Um, and that's a, a very generous way of living. But it's more people should be like that because we do we hold each other back we i fucking can't stand guilt tripping like people who guilt trip you like that shit is for the birds like let's fucking end that in 2020 um <laughs> but uh i'm setting my sights high <laughs> um but i'll be yeah. happy if i can stop doing it to myself right exactly stop guilting yourself into doing shit that you don't want to do anymore yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a wild ride. That's that's really that's really cool um, that you have been able to say goodbye to things that you maybe weren't ready for yet to say goodbye to, and like fully thrust yourself into like this career path, like full blown into this career path. Really like trying to make a difference in these kids' lives. And like, I mean, I remember every coach I ever had, and. I remember every shitty coach I had and they hold a different place in my heart. And I remember the best coaches that I ever had were the ones that worked me the hardest. The ones that were like, you know, this isn't the most important thing in your life. Not even right now. You need to be able to like do all of the things that you need to do. You need to be able to have a social life. You need to be able to take care of your friends and family, like take care of yourself and take care of school. Like this is like, you know, maybe tied for third, but like, it shouldn't be number one, but I am still going to push you. Like a good coach pushes you to be better in every way. I think it's the same as like, you know, good parent, a good partner, you know, a good friend, like you want to be your best self because that's, that's what they think of you. Like somebody who supports you and like cares deeply about you, like wants you to be your best self. Yeah, it's, it's funny, actually, right before I jumped on the call here, we were finishing up a team lift, and I lost my mind at the end of it. I had to, you know, take a walk and, and grab some water and cool off before I jumped on this because I didn't want to come on in a bad mood. Yeah. But I, I followed one of our guys around. It was a squat day. He got in zero squats. Um, he went, skipped that, went straight to a different lift, and I followed him around with a stopwatch, and – for, we were in there for about 35, 40 minutes before we finished up with abs as a team. And 20 of those minutes he spent doing nothing, just kind of walking around, racking a weight up, pretending to, to get a set in. And so at the end of the day, you know, 
my my head coach goes, uh, you got anything? And I said, yeah. yeah. Uh, I said, did everyone get all their lifts in that were on the board today? Yep, yep, yep. And I look right right at the kid that I know did not do it. And he's like, yep, yeah, coach. I, I, I didn't want to single him out. I didn't want to put him on blast in front of everyone. I looked at the whole team and I just said, why the fuck do you think it's okay to lie to me? We have to trust each other. We have to be able to work together. We have to be able to rely on each other. And I watched someone today not do what they're supposed to do, spend 20 minutes of this time doing absolutely nothing to better themselves. And you guys as a team need to police that. And they know who I'm talking about. It doesn't need to be said. They see the same things I see. And I was shaking. I was so frustrated. And I think part of that is me knowing that if I had the chance to go back and take things more seriously that I would have. And I think that's part of why I've found success in coaching now is because I know how much it hurts when you lose it. And I never want to see one of my guys go through that. So I'm always going to push them to do everything they possibly can to keep playing for as long as they possibly can at the highest level they possibly can. Billy Madison, when he shakes him, shakes his head. Cherish it. Stay here. Is it Billy Madison? It's Billy Madison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, wait, which one is that? Which Adam Sandler is that? As long as you can. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, I, I, I said it to my brother like quite a bit in the last year because he just graduated um, college this past May and, you know, he got a fifth year in, got his first year of his master's done because he'd redshirted for football. And uh, and I was like, dude, you're going to miss it. Like, fucking take this shit seriously. And and he did. He took it seriously and he did really well. He's about to leave for Paris to play overseas, which is really fucking cool. I'm really That's proud awesome. of him. really excited. Yeah. So super, super awesome. But like, it's at the end of the day, it comes back to you. It's, it's not the coach's responsibility to make anybody better. And so that kid being a shit bag, just like we said before, there's shit bags in every industry, in every field, in every walk of life. And he's not necessarily a shit bag, but he was a shit bag today. And like, that sucks. Well, he's from Long Island, so. Yeah, so he must be a shit bag. <laughs> <laughs> Long Islanders are the best. <laughs> um, but we're coming down to the end here. I want to um, kind of, for you to jog my memory, if you could tell me what that quote was, if you remember it, that you said to me a couple months ago. Um, I had posted something about like, I actually ended up doing an episode on it more recently, but about like being a better friend and like listening to people. And you said, that like you know you were like god damn it you made you're making me feel like i'm being a bad friend to people and uh and you left me with a quote it was about like being a little bit better every day do you remember what i'm talking one, about one percent better one percent better every day yeah i don't remember what it was that you had posted but i said that i felt like a bad it was about like giving people too much input and basically kind of what we talked about earlier telling other people to go fuck themselves and right. what they think uh you you don't, you don't ask for advice to hear other people's advice, right? That's, I think, what it came from. Right. And uh, you know, I'm a person that when I see someone going through something, like, I'm going to say, hey, like, maybe this is what works for me. Maybe it'll work for you if you try it. Right. And I know sometimes people don't want to hear it, but maybe that's just my way of helping or trying to help. But um, one thing I have always pushed with my guys 
And I actually, there was a player that I worked with. I did a lot of individual training with him. I told him he was finishing up his eighth grade season. And I said, Matt, what do you think? I said, you think you're gonna make varsity next year? He was like, uh, probably not. I'll probably play JV. I said, all right, listen to me. I said, you've got the rest of your eighth grade season. You've got summer ball. You've got a year of JV probably. So in reality, how many days, how many lacrosse games, how many practices can you go to where nothing you do fucking matters? Because guess what? Middle school lacrosse doesn't matter. Your eighth grade year of travel ball lacrosse doesn't matter. JV lacrosse doesn't matter. None of these scores count for anything. You won't get anything in life off of what happened in those games. So guess what? You have that many days to get 1% better every day. And if you do that, by the time you play in a game that matters, you're going to be really fucking good at what you need to be good at. It's so true. And it's such, it's such an awesome representation of like one step at a time, like one small step at a time. You're never going to get there if you don't start stepping, but you can take right. one small step every single day to be a little fucking bit better every single day. And you'll get there. You'll get there maybe slow, but you'll get there. And people just get so crippled by, but I'm not going to be there tomorrow. You're never going to be there with that attitude. You're, you're probably never going to be there period. Because even when you reach the point that you thought was the end for you, you're going to find something new along the way that you want to improve at. And that's, I think what most successful people do is they keep finding ways to grow and improve. And, you know, there are days where you might not get 1% better, but maybe the next day you get two right. and you, it's just a constant process. And that's why I think a lot, I was, I was driving to a recruiting tournament and, and listening to that podcast on Friday about transformations in, and I think it's a very similar thing whether well it might not be identical it's that same thing if you're growing and improving you're transforming absolutely all right man well thank you so much for being here this was a lot of fun glad we finally got to do this we've been, absolutely. Uh, we've been catching up keeping quite a bit this last year since I, I mean it's it's honestly like one of my favorite things one of my favorite parts about doing the instagram account and the podcast is i get to reconnect with so many people like i mean you, you said like you and i barely even knew each other we overlapped by one semester like this conversation zero percent would have happened if it hadn't been for like you know, me starting this Instagram. And so I'm so glad. I'm so grateful that you had reached out to me a couple of times when you saw something that resonated with you. Um, and the commonalities between our stories, like there's so many things. And I mean, and that's another big like thing that I love about this podcast is like, we all have shit in common. All of us. There's not a single person who was listening to this episode that didn't hear a little bit of themselves in something. You know what I mean? So definitely. And, and uh, seeing you, start this process and everything it, it lined up very well with the transition and the changes that were going on in my life and I said wow th this is someone else that has taken a similar path and you know understands maybe how I feel so that kind of it was an easy barrier of entry to reach out to someone who we weren't necessarily close or good friends but I felt that there was that mutual understanding of the process Totally. Well, I'm awesome. I, I'm awesome. I'm so glad that you did. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm so glad that you did. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really cool to, to, to reach out and to relate to people and to see, you know, somebody do 
something that you are thinking about doing a little bit before you. And I used to really see that as like the hindrance of like, well, other people are already doing it. Like, I don't need to do it. Like, no, I mean, and also like what you're doing, obviously is very different from what I'm doing, but like, it's really empowering and inspiring if you choose to see it that way, that other people are also stepping outside of their comfort zone and talking about things that aren't comfortable and like getting vulnerable. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I really appreciate you opening up about a lot of things that are, you know, really hard to talk about, like mental health in the military and like the guilt about leaving and wanting to be a, a good mentor to people. Like our youth needs that. And also like the communities need that. Like old people need mentors too. We all do. We can, we can all get 1% better every day. So thank you so much. Where can they find you? Thanks. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Josh underscore buzzard. And I'm on Twitter at coach underscore buzzard. Love it. Um, and also get with you about your dad's thing that he's doing, the red, white, and blue in Pittsburgh. Team RWB. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Um, and I'll link that in the show notes too, um, because I think I've got a, a decent listening over in the Pennsylvania area. So I'd, I'd love it if, uh, if you had access to that. So thank you again, Josh, and I will talk to you very soon. Thanks a lot, Liz. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.